Well, good morning. Again, fathers, I uh, just want to be the first to say uh, happy Father's Day. If I'm not the first, I uh, just want to be one to add to it. You guys deserve it, uh, especially some of you dads that I know, man. You guys are inspiration to me. Uh, I want to say also thanks uh, for letting me be away last week. I really had uh, my wife and I got to go uh, celebrate our 10th anniversary a little bit early. Uh, yeah, thanks. We worked hard on 10 years. Uh, I worked hard. My wife was perfect. Didn't really have to do all that much. Um, so anyway, we, we got to celebrate a little bit earlier. Our, our anniversary isn't until um, August the 9th, August the 8th. I'll figure it out before we get there. I'll remember. But um, I got time. Uh, we enjoyed our time. I, w- I just want to say thank you. Uh, thanks for being a church that, that lets us do that. Thanks for being a church that values rest um, and lets us do that. I heard Tim did a great job. I'm so thankful that he's a part of, of my life and that Waypoint Church uh, partners are a part of Restore. Uh, man, I, I just got to say, to be able to preach on Father's Day in front of some of you fathers is, is awesome. Uh, it's a little bit intimidating. Uh, here's why. Because some of you work harder than I do. You work longer hours. Um, you make more money. <laughs> Shush. And so... Um, uh, it, it's kind of intimidating to talk about, like, to preach on Father's Day in front of you. Some of you um, are better Christ followers than I am. Uh, like, you, you look more like Jesus than I do. Um, some of your kids uh, might be better, hate, better behaved than mine. They're not cuter, but they might be better behaved than mine. Some of you treat your wives, I don't know about better, but uh, yeah, some, you know, some of you husbands treat your wives maybe a little better than, than I do mine sometimes. Anybody else's cup ever get full of that stuff? Any other dads? You look around and you're like, man, I'm not the dad that that guy is. When he gets home from a day's work, he... He doesn't sit down. He, like, crawls in the floor and plays with his kids. You know, like, I want to rest and watch Pardon the Interruption on TV and watch these guys yell at each other about sports that I know way more than them about. You know, that's what I want to do. But, uh, but no, not, not some of the dads in this room. They crawl on the floor and play with their kids. My kids want me to read them a bedtime story, and I just want to go watch The Office in my bed, you know. But some of you are like, dude, it's not about me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a story every chance I get. Max Licato says, never turn down a chance to read your children a story. I'm like, dude, I, I never read a story. You know, I, I, don't even, I don't even know what books he has. You know? Does your cup get full, fathers, of comparison? Or full of, or full of pressure? Or full of just random microphone noises? Because that's what mine is. I, I, is it my beard? Yeah. Don't blame my beard. Okay? Get your own beard. Get your own beard. <laughs> I don't know how to handle all the shade that's being thrown right now. But uh, if you don't leave my beard alone, it will attack you. I promise. All right. Okay. Am I back? Like... You guys know what it's like to look around at other dads and it's like, I'm just not that good. I'm, I'm not as good as him. I'm not a good Christ follower as him. I'm not. Like, our, our, as far as being a, a father, like sometimes our cups get full of the wrong stuff. 
maybe you're not a dad, maybe you're a mom here, and some of your moms are playing both roles for whatever reasons. Your cups get full of the wrong type of stuff too, right? Like comparison, uh, self-deprecation. Um, we, we just, there's so much pressure that's built up in this cup. So I have a glass bottle here, mason jar, which you should always be drinking sweet tea out of, right? If there were to be a little crack in this cup, it wouldn't be able to hold all of the water in it. Why? Why, why if a little crack happens in this cup, would the, cup not, would the water not stay in the cup? Why would it escape? Because of the amount of pressure that this water is pushing on this glass. See, it's, it's, why, it's why a piece of paper couldn't hold all of this water. Man, we, we add so much of our own pressure, outside pressure coming into our lives, whether you're fathered this morning or, or you're not. There's so much pressure. And this morning, I want to look at what John writes about maybe alleviating some of that pressure in our life. So go ahead and in your Bible, find uh, John chapter 10. John 10. And um, here's, here's what I've been asking you guys to do. I don't know if you've been doing it with me or if you haven't. But I've been asking you to read through John with us, okay? Like, we're not going to be able to cover John, John verse by verse all the way through. But if you're reading on your own, you will cover each chapter or each verse. Uh, we had a beautiful volunteer who just went back to the back. But he is passing out uh, Bibles. Josh, if you need a Bible, throw your hand up. Someone in the front, just throw your hand up so we can watch him just come and pass Bibles. He's the best at it. Um, we've been doing this clickbait series. Remember at the beginning of the year we did uh, New Me, Who Dis? We covered the first six chapters of John, but we've jumped back into John. Um, and Jesus is kind of teaching his followers, his disciples, how to follow him. You know, I feel like there's some pressure to follow Jesus then, and I believe there's even still pressure to follow him now. And as you read through John chapter 10 this week, maybe you didn't, hey, next week go ahead and read John 11. It's probably my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, and I'm stoked about preaching it. But as you read through John chapter 10, the idea of the shepherd came up. And maybe your mind was drawn to the Old Testament figures like Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Amos, Gideon, and David. How God is always using shepherds. Maybe your mind even went to Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. In scripture, God uses this image of shepherd. Both um, he, he calls Israel at times the sheep. At times he calls Israel even the shepherds. He talks about the image of shepherds to communicate his purposes, his attributes, his care, his love, and at times even his discipline of the sheep. And although in the grand scheme of things, the literal keeping of sheep is minimal, um, is really not all that important in and of itself. The application uh, of being a shepherd and its sheep is real for us this morning. So here we are in John chapter 10. Uh, if you found it, um, we're going to start in, in verse 1. Here we go. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. Know, note this, who Jesus is talking to. Okay, that's going to be important uh, a couple verses later. Uh, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Who's the thief and the robber? 
It's the person who climbs in without going into the front. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. That's important. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they never follow a stranger. They will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling him. The listeners around Jesus already were here to listen to what they have to say. Some of our um, younger, cooler people in our church will always say, I'm here for it. You know, I'm talking about something cool, I guess cool is happening or something interesting, and they'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. I still don't kind of understand what that happens, what that means, but the Pharisees, they're here for it. In John 9, Jesus spits in the dirt. Y'all remember that? Jesus spit in the dirt, wipes his muddy spit saliva on some blind dude's face, and, and heals him. Now everyone is attracted to Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. Time and time again, we've seen Jesus stand in the place of of a sinner. He stands in the place of the marginalized. Jesus stands in the gap for those who can't do it on themselves. And every time he does that, his his teachings come from that. But this time, it's, it's, it's more simple than that. Jesus just simply has their attention. The Jews, the Pharisees, everyone around, they're glued onto what Jesus has to say. They're interested in every word. Now, some of them are interested for bad intentions, but some for good. Either way, Jesus still has their attention. And maybe you're here this morning with ulterior motives. Maybe you're just here because you have to be, but I just hope that Jesus has your attention. Maybe you're here because your desire in the desire of your life is to grow close, closer to Jesus. I hope that he has your attention. And Jesus has a big crowd in front of him. Uh, it's probably a little bit more than this this morning. But if I were Jesus here, I would try to do like a cool miracle. I would maybe do a cool water illustration, which we'll get to in a minute. I would do something that would grab everyone. Maybe I would try to, try to ease the tension, maybe a peace offering. I would try to do something to include the importance of the Pharisees and God's plan, but not Jesus. Jesus doesn't do that. I mean, if he does this, the the Jews might stop trying to kill him. Remember, John chapter 5, Jesus heals the guy at the pool, and it says in chapter 5, verse 18, that they tried all the more to kill Jesus. Maybe if he does something right here with the big crowd around him, they stop trying to kill him. Or maybe if Jesus does a miracle in front of him, he could perform something that, that it would be like validating that he is who he says he is. But for all of our benefits... I'm not Jesus. That's good for you and for me. If I were Jesus, I would grow, I would make myself grow more hair, longer hair. I, I don't know why. Maybe to be more like Jesus, but uh, you know, bald is beautiful, right? That should be a t-shirt. Good going. The new restore t-shirt. Bald is beautiful. Y'all just aren't awake or I'm not funny. Or both. <clears throat> <clears throat> Jesus, help them, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Uh, y'all, this week, uh, while on vacation, um, I don't know if some of you know this, but one of my bucket list things to do is to do a stand-up comedy routine. And I got, I got to meet one of my fa- favorite stand-up comedians, and I blew it. 
my face got red. I blushed in the elevator. It was in the elevator. You can't go anywhere. Oh, I'll tell you a story later. Ooh, I'm hot thinking about it, man. Uh, but it's a good thing I'm not Jesus, right? There's a lot of things I would do that's probably not Jesus-like. But just like the Jews around, we might start asking questions about what Jesus is teaching. Here's what we can, here's what we can know about what Jesus just said. Robbers and thieves, they will try to enter into the gate. Absolutely every time, if you are a Christ follower, rob, uh, robbers and thieves are going to try to get into the gate. We also know that the man who does not, um, the man who does enter the gate, that man is the shepherd. We know that this man will call them by their name. The shepherd will lead the sheep. We know that he will go on ahead of them and lead the way. And that any stranger that comes in, they will not recognize his voice, but not only that, they will run away. In a few verses later, we're going to find Jesus to be the shepherd. But the Pharisees, we read that last verse, it says, they do not understand what he's telling them. Now, has there ever been a time that you asked a question, and as soon as you asked the question, you're like, oh, man, I, never mind. I did not want to know the answer to that. Or you start prodding, and then once the person starts to talk back, you're like, oh, never mind, never mind. I, I don't want to know. The Pharisees are definitely in that mode right now. Let's read verses 7 to 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus just said, I am the gate. Um, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Um... Okay, so now we're getting some answers from Jesus. We find out that Jesus is the gate. Twice in this passage, Jesus says, I am the gate. And whoever enters through me will enter into this pasture. We believe what the Bible says, that there is no way to heaven. There's no way to be saved except through Jesus. Now, John doesn't give us the answer that the Jews give, but I can imagine them like grinding their teeth a little bit, clenching their fist, because for Jesus to come and say that the only way to eternal life was through him is crazy and blasphemous. Now, remember in John 5, they're trying to kill him in 5, 6, 7, 8, and and 9, and now we're in 10. He's right there in front of them, but because of the crowds, they just can't get to him. See, for them, the way to heaven was through sacrifices, was trying to make themselves better, was trying to uh, be perfect in view of the law. And now this guy is telling them that anyone who comes through him can get into heaven. And then Jesus adds this, like, little jab. I don't know if you picked it up, but he, he's, he talks about um, those who, come, who have come before him are thieves and robbers. Now, of course, he's not talking about the shepherds that we mentioned before in the Old Testament, David and, and Abraham and Gideon and Amos. Uh, he's not talking about those shepherds. He's referring to the people who are supposed to be caring for the spiritual welfare of the people. Those who have been appointed, uh, maybe even, I think he's talking directly to the Pharisees. 
you have come before me. You're supposed to care for these Jewish people. In your, in, they've been trusted in your care. You're a thief and you're a robber. So then we get to verse 10. And it says, The thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, I don't know about you, if you've been in church or you've been a Christ follower for a while, I've always heard this verse talked about uh, and applied to Satan. Now listen, don't, don't hear me wrong. Satan loves to kill, he loves to steal, and he loves to destroy. Those are definitely three attributes and distinctions of Satan. But there is nothing, look, there is nothing in John chapter 10, There's nothing in the immediate context for us to think that the thief that comes to kill and destroy is Satan. No, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees who have come to put religion on people, a pursuit of perfection over a pursuit of Jesus. And he says those types of people, those religious leaders, maybe even church leaders who have put perfection over the pursuit of Jesus have come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus is like, I've come that you have life and have it to the full. Religion produces fear. A pursuit of Jesus produces freedom. And if I had been able to say it like that before, I would have been on the screen. Um, I was like, I don't know, 12, and Kings Island, which was right near Cincinnati where I grew up, they, came, they had this new roller coaster, uh, it was called the Vortex, and you would get on it and you would be facing someone else, like they're facing you, you're facing them, you're harnessed in, and it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen, and I go to Kings Island, and at the time I'm not a thrill seeker, and here I am later, still not much of a thrill seeker, um, but, but everyone I'm with, they are. And the, I'm just going to stand in line. I'm going to walk across, and I'm just going um, to let them go. Like, I'm going to watch them go. But my stepdad, the whole time, he's talking about how much fun it's going to be and how, how it's awesome going through the loops of a roller coaster. And there's this point in the vortex where you go up one side, and it just holds you. And, like, you are dangling over all of Cincinnati. You see it, and then it just drops you, and you go back the other way, you know. And at the time, I'm, I'm not here for it. But man, I saw the excitement of everybody else. And I, I walked through, I, you know, it was, came our time. They all sat down, but there was one seat empty next to my stepdad. And he was stoked, man. He pulled it down. He pulled that thing down. He ratcheted it. And, and he's, like, he's like ready to go. And I'm standing there holding everybody's stuff like a punk. Fear, uh, religion produces fear. But I saw the, like, how much fun they were about to have. And I looked at some random lady I didn't know, and I handed the sunglasses and the waters to everybody else. And I went and sat down, and I pulled down the, the, the harness, and I was like, what did I just do? <laughs> but, man, it was awesome. And I will never forget that. And how much fun roller coasters can be, right? And how, how much freedom eclipses fear. But sometimes... When there's so much pressure on the line, we forget. All right, this might get dangerous. That's why I'm away from the TV and water and electronics don't work. You know, there's so much pressure in this cup, and I want to show you how much pressure is in this cup. You you know, um, like, 
the strongest force in our uh, world is the Holy Spirit. Great answer. <laughs> and Star Wars isn't real, so you can't use that one. Um, it's what? Science nerds. It's gravity, right? See? Watch. Gravity. Every, every time it works, right? But there is so much pressure in this cup right now that gravity doesn't work. Oh, please work. Please work. Please work. Gravity doesn't work. Thanks. Um, that's, that's the Lord. He created science. But man, wouldn't you? Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to get rid of the pressure. But I choose not to. Like, because I would rather live by fear. I would rather live by not meeting expectations. I would rather live that way. I mean, I wouldn't rather, but my life shows it that I just choose. Can this work again? That I just choose not to get rid of that. And I choose whatever, like to block it. You know, uh, excuses. We're good at those. I'm tired. I worked long. You know, we're, we're good at those excuses. Meanwhile, our children are watching us. And then when they, when they make excuses, we're like, that's just an excuse. And they're like, okay. Well, let me record all the excuses you, you have for not playing with me here. Um, but dads, I'm going to tell you, like, I'm learning it, bone six, and this, this year, I've been kind of an up and down dad. Can we dads be honest for a minute? We're, we get the dad of the year, number one dad mug, and that's truthful for probably, like, six months out of 12, maybe nine months out of 12. Like, can we just be honest and say we're, sometimes we're not the greatest dad out there? And I watched, I don't know, my, my wife could probably argue with me here, but I feel like I gave myself so much to work and so much to church that I think I missed half of my son's sixth year, my, you know, like this last year. Because I'm tired. Well, because that, you know, it's church. And yesterday we got back from vacation and my kids spent the, the time with my dad and we got home and, uh, um, some of y'all surprised us with some gifts when we got home, and my son was so excited to play with them. He's like, Dad, this is what he said to me, y'all. This is what he said. This is not my sermon, so I got to make up time somewhere else. But he said this to me. He didn't ask me, can we play with them? You know what he asked me? Hey, Dad, tomorrow, can we do uh, whatever this game was? And I was like, yeah, l let's do it tomorrow. We got to go to bed tonight because it was late. It was like nine. And I was like, we got to go to bed tomorrow. We, we woke up. First thing he says to me, Dad, remember what you said yesterday? And I was like, yes, I remember what I said. You said you were going to spend time with me. It was an opportunity for an excuse because it was Saturday. Church was coming the next day. But, man, you know what I felt when I just let go? It's like, dude, let's do it. Let's go outside and hit the badminton around. We didn't even have a net. And we probably only hit it 10% of the time. Like, we stunk at it. But, man, we had so much fun. And when you remove the obstacles and the excuses, it doesn't matter what the rest of you dads do. I'm spending time with my son. I'm being an example of what God looks like to my son all day yesterday. I got to be his shepherd yesterday. And we get our image from Jesus. Let's look at the rest of this chapter. Look at verse 11 with me. 
I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hands is, is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Here we see Jesus' second analogy for himself. The first one, he is the gate. And you can't get into God's pasture unless you go through the gate. The second analogy Jesus shows for himself is the shepherd. Now what makes Jesus different? What makes him a different shepherd than the other ones? What do the other sheep do, or what do the other people do when the wolves come? They run. And the wolves devour the sheep. But what happens, uh, let's see, um, but verse, uh, verse 13, the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But in verse 11, we see Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Why is he the good shepherd? Because he will lay down his life for his sheep. And he opposes uh, these, these men who run, these hired hands who run. See, the job of the shepherd is to take care of the sheep. It's their job to protect them from predators, wolves, lions, bears. We see that David defended off um, uh, bears and lions with his own hand. There are hundreds of sheep sitting out there in the middle of the field. They're dumb, they're slow, they stink, and they taste good. <laughs> it's the job of the shepherd to protect to put himself on the line. Now, for someone who's invested in the sheep, that's what they do. They, they lay it all out there. But we see that these hired hands, at the glimpse of a wolf, they run. They try to get out of there. They're not invested in the sheep. However, the good shepherd does the opposite. He protects the sheep no matter what. In the line of the battle, he lays down his own life for the sheep. He lays down his life so that the sheep, these dumb, nasty, stinky animals, can live. It kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, if you look at a shepherd and a person who has more value, it's definitely the person. But instead, he cares so much about these sheep that he laid down his own life for them. Jesus keeps teaching in verse 14. It says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and, and they know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. Jesus is talking about Gentiles, which is a racial barrier Jesus is crossing right now. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I receive from my father. The Jews who heard these words were divided again. Many of them said he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why would we listen to him? But others said, these are not sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus lays down, 
or Jesus lays out even more the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. The, the sheep, they know his voice. Jesus says he has an intimate relationship between the sheep and him. Even more so, like, wouldn't it be even more between the relationship between a, a shepherd and a sheep and, and us and Jesus? He compares the relationship uh, that we have with Jesus to the closeness that Jesus has with his father. We find out here that Jesus is the shepherd who will eventually die for sheep, but only to take his life up again. Now, it's the disciples that Jesus is teaching. It's those who are pursuing him that Jesus is getting the attention of. Hey, disciples, listen, there are going to be people who try to steal and kill, steal and, kill and destroy. But listen to my voice. I'm going to lay down my life, but I promise you it's only to take it up again. I will lay down my life for you. Get to know my voice. And I would imagine his prayer is the same thing for you. Jesus says, get to know my voice. In a life now, or in a, in a world, in a society now, where everything is competing for your attention, right? Facebook, music, uh, your, your friends, your family, your work, your church. Although none of these things are necessarily bad, none of them laid down their life for you. But yet they're all screaming and they all want their attention. None of them conquered the grave for you. None of them give you hope after this life. None of them. I remember this. I, I will never forget this. As a dad, while your wife is pregnant, there's very little you can do except rub feet and backs and eat. Right? Like, sympathy weight is a real thing. I'm still trying to work off my baby weight, you know? There's like, you, there are times you feel helpless. There are times you can, you can do like little things, but really nothing compares, ladies, am I right? Like, nothing compares to carrying the baby, right? So, like, all the way up into the time, you're just a little bit helpless. Bowen was born. It was the craziest event I think I've ever seen in my life. I'm glad that I was there. It was great. And then we get back to the room. Now, I'm a dad of a couple days, and I'm killing it. I was in those days the best dad in the world. There was not a better one, although I did try to clean his circumcision with an alcohol wipe. True story. Uh, so maybe I, wasn't, maybe I wasn't dad of the year. Okay, it's first year, but I was close. Um, so the nurse comes in. She says, hey, Aaron, how are you guys doing? So we're doing good. And uh, dad, how you, how you holding up? I was like, I'm good. I don't know about Bowen and his stuff, but we're good. I'm good. And um, he, she said, well, here's one thing I, I want to tell you. If, if he seems to get fussy, if Bowen seems to get fussy, um, I, I thought this was amazing. He just needs to, I'd never known this, but he just needs to lay naked on his mother's chest. Now, moms, you know this. Like, he spent so much time getting to know your scent in the womb that, like, that was comforting and, and, and inviting to him. Then the nurse said this. She said, it's amazing how that will soothe him. But if you are in a room full of people, 
The mom can start to yell out Bowen's name, Bowen, Bowen, Bowen. But the voice he will recognize the most is his father's voice. Even a couple days old in a room full of people, that baby would recognize the father's voice over anybody else's. Y'all, I, I know that there are all kinds of things competing for you. Men, like pressure makes diamonds, right? That's what we say, like, like pressure. But man, wouldn't it be good if, if we just could let go of a little bit of it? Like, wouldn't it be good if we got to live with the freedom of not having to be perfect? I saw a friend of mine who's preaching this morning, and the title of his sermon was The Perfect Dad. And I was like, I'd love to meet him. Uh, and then I read Psalm 23 to you. Dads, wives, daughters, sons, whoever you're in here, are you just like, you just need to hear God's voice? Well, you got to know what it sounds like. You got to know, you got to know God's word through, or you got to know God's voice through his word. Are, are you reading his word? Do you know the voice of God speaking to you through other people? Are you allowing other people to speak truth into your life without getting defensive? I'm just going to straight up ask you, would you know the voice of God if you heard it? They ask this question at the end of this passage, and they say, why listen to him, the Pharisees said. You know, fellas, I, I said I wasn't going to preach to fathers today, but if you've been around me, you know how passionate I am about men following Jesus. And, um, so I just kind of turned into that. But um, that's a really good question. Why listen to him? Because really, if we don't have a reason, then this is pointless. Right? You, you being here is a waste of time. And I would give you that. Right? Like, it, it would just be a pep rally with really good music. If there's no reason to listen to him, my career and my life's calling is a fraud and, and just a show, a performance, really. Why would you listen to him? Um... I, let's do this. I got, I got a couple minutes. I think you need to ask, answer that question. Anybody in here, you need to answer that question. Why, why would you listen to him at all? Why would you give up stuff? Like, why would you sacrifice for him? Why, why would you listen to Jesus? Why would you spend time in really an ancient book? Why would you allow this to change your life? Especially because it's so much easier to not. Right? Like, wouldn't it just be easier to forget all this? You could be sleeping right now or eating at Denny's. Right? Like, this, your life could be easier. You wouldn't have to sacrifice anything. We did this a couple months ago, and it got me in a little bit of trouble, but we're going to do it again anyway because uh, Jesus is my boss. Um, 
yeah, that sounds good. Um, in um, it's Matthew chapter 27, you remember this. Jesus is on the cross. I hope you remember that. <laughs> Jesus was on the cross. He, he has all these words that he says. He has seven times that he talks. And you remember this one time he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. You guys, everyone knows what that means, right? Remember this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we, this was like six months ago. We preached about this. You, you remember? And um, for the longest time, did I tell you a story about the drunk guy who wanted me to explain that to him? He told me, he said, Roger, if you can explain this to me, I'll give my life to Jesus. Why does Jesus, in the time he needs God most, yell out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like if God is a loving God and a comforting God and Jesus is on the cross, then why, and he's slurring a little bit because he's a little bit drunk, but he says, then why does Jesus yell out, where are you, why have you forsaken me? Now I was just, I was like in the middle of Bible college and Bible college students know everything. And so I was ready. I had my answer ready to go. And I was like, you know what? Joe, I'll answer that for you. He's like, no, no, not right now. I'm a little drunk. I'm not going to (laughs) remember. You know what I was going to tell him, though? I was going to tell him, well, that, that it was so painful that in that moment, God couldn't bear to watch. And it was such an extravagant event that as Jesus took on the sin of the world, that God couldn't bear to watch that moment. And I would have even said that God can't be around the evil right? God can't be in the presence of it, but it kind of, and, and, and I, I preached that for years, okay? And one of my good friends, Larry Cooper, he's an elder at a church I served before. He pulled me aside after a sermon on that passage, and he said, hey, I, I want to point you to a passage, and I want to challenge you on what you just said. What if Jesus was not uh, was not alone on the cross. But what if Jesus was saying, God, what if Jesus was like, I'm going to point to Scripture. <laughs> you, are, you are right here with me. I mean, it doesn't make sense with the question, but there's this teaching technique that rabbis would do. They would say the first verse of a, of a psalm, and it would recall all Jews to that psalm. And every Jew knew most of the psalms. They spent their life trying to memorize it. And so what if Jesus was trying to call the attention to every Jewish person around to Psalm chapter 22 that starts out like this? It says, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I do not rest. Remember, we're asking the question, why should you listen to this shepherd? Well, the shepherd who's hanging on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't want to follow a shepherd that's abandoned by his father. But if you keep reading Psalm 22... He says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trust in that you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. He says, uh, but I am, a, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. 
They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb, God. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls, they surround me. He says, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up. I am thirsty. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. The dogs surround me. Pack of villains encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This is written thousands of years before Jesus. But maybe in Jesus' desperate need of someone, he's crying out to God. Why would we listen to him? Keep listening. All my bones are on display. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far off from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to me. Deliver me from the sword. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. I will declare your name to my people. You who fear the Lord, praise him. For he, does, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering or the afflicted one. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to the people yet unborn. That it is finished. And you know what Jesus says after he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He bowed his head, he gave up his spirit, and he says, it is finished. You know, I don't think that Jesus on the cross was abandoned by God. I would even say that he was worshiping God. Now, why would we listen to someone like that? Because he laid down his life for you. He allowed all of those things to happen for you. His authority to lay down his life for you. And the people who put the Psalms together, they put Psalm 22 together, a cry of forsakenness, but a cry of, of being comforted. They put it right in front of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table of before me, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, we love you and are so thankful for your word. God, thank you for being a shepherd. Thank you for displaying that to your son to be the good shepherd. The one who lays down his life for his sheep. 
God, I thank you that I don't have to keep up perfection or keep up image or keep up anything else, but God, that I can remove those obstacles and those excuses and I can follow. God, I pray for the men in here that they are examples of God to their children. God, that they will throw off everything that entangles them, everything that hinders them from pursuing you so their children can watch. So that when they're 20 and 25 and 30, they can say, man, I loved God because my dad loved God. Because my mom loved God. God, for those of us in here that have a negative view of the term father, Lord, we pray that it's you that shows us a good shepherd. You comfort us, you guide us, you lead us beside quiet waters. God, restore our soul. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.